so great. It does feel like home, and so it's so great to be here with you all. And why don't you, you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to look at all of it this morning, um, which is a belly drinking from a fire, fire hydrant, I understand. Um, but we're going to, I'm going to read verse 18 in a moment. But let me just say how thankful we are for uh, the partnership that's existed between our churches. I hope even as Todd is giving that report um, of what, what's been going on in, in, in Scotland, um, that you feel as if that's an extension of your ministry here, because you should, because it is. Um, the partnership with the church, between our churches has been such a precious thing and such a significant thing in the life of our ministry in Scotland. Um, it would be, uh, I really would want you to feel as if it's really part of we are part of, and so you should, if you come, come and see us and come and see what the Lord is doing there. Our vision is through rooted churches uh, to plant um, multiple churches in Scotland initially, but if the Lord allows further afield into Western Europe, um, we are planning at the moment on, so we planted Harvest Air. They just had their first, uh, first birthday a couple of weeks ago. Uh, our, our plan, our, our vision is to bring two church plant residents uh, in to, for a year's training starting next fall, which would put us on track. Lord allows uh, to double the number of church plants we have in Scotland by 2024, 2025. Um, so if you can be praying with us for that, that would be amazing. So hopefully all of that has given you time to, to make your way to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, tell me if you're ready. That's good, five of you are. That's good. This is what God's word has to say to us this morning. We'll read and I'll pray and then we'll jump in. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful to you for what we've been able to sing uh, to you and about you. And what we've just sung, we, we again just want to say that that would be our prayer, that Christ would be magnified in us. Help us to see him more clearly and more fully and live for him more passionately and purposefully. Father, we pray that you would do the work you design uh, with your word in our lives by your spirit, to transform us and to change us and to draw us closer to yourself in order that our lives might direct others to you. That's our prayer, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Okay, so I don't know if you've had somebody, maybe, maybe recently, maybe at some point say, haven't you got something better to do with your time? Hands up if you've ever, someone's ever said that to you or if you've had somebody say that recently to you, okay? It's, let's face it, you know it. The, the, the reason they're saying it is they don't get what you're about. They don't understand how awesome your hobby is or how awesome the game you're playing on your phone is or whatever it would be, okay? I, I had a little bit of a hunch that most teenagers have probably, as they've been sat on a device, have probably been challenged with that idea of, or challenged by somebody to say, what are you doing? Have you got something better to do uh, than play your X station or your play box. I know it's not called that. I'm just joking. Um, I'm not that old. Um, it's doing something like that. And my daughter is a, is a great example of that. She loves the Great British Baking Show. You, you've seen that, right? You, you have that here. And, but she likes to watch reruns of that repeatedly to the extent that when I'm walking through the living room of our home, I'm pretty sure I know the recipe of pretty much all of the things they're making. And I don't bake. I eat baking, but I do not bake. And... Um, and, and so she would, what, haven't you got something better to do with your time? Uh, I would say that. I, I, but the reality is, if, we look, if we're honest and we look at our lives, much or most of our lives are consumed with things that are trivial and temporary. And what 2 Corinthians chapter 3 tells us is, 
we have got something better to do with our lives. We have the opportunity to invest our lives, to invest our very selves wholeheartedly in the God-given and living out the God, our God-given identity and pursuing things that are to do with eternity and, and proclaiming the glories of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And, and that's the encouragement that I hope to bring to you today that, and not just for you, but that through, as, as you begin to more purposefully and passionately pursue those things, setting aside the temporary and the trivial and pursuing the things that are transcendent and eternal, that the Lord would stir that up within you, such as overflows into the lives of those around you. That's why we're calling it rooted discipleship because it's, this is about our relationships with one another and what we would hope to see grow and thrive in one another's lives. So what's true about us, first of all, when it comes to these things, Howard Guinness, I found this quote from a guy called Howard Guinness. He said this, where are the young men and women of this generation who will hold their lives cheap and be faithful even unto death, who will lose their lives for Christ, flinging them away for love, for him, love of him? Where are those who will live dangerously and be reckless in this service? Where are the men of prayer? Where are the men who count God's word of more importance to them than their daily food? Where are the men who, like Moses of old, commune with God face to face as a man speaks with his friend? Where are, and we might say this about people, men, women, people, where are God's people in this day of God's power? Where are you when it comes to these things? One of the great things about coming here and preaching is I, get, I know the heart of the ministry here. I know the heart of your ministry. I know how, what, what the elders and the staff and the people who come to this church long to be about. This, it's the same as we want to be about. It's the same thing we want rooted churches to be about as we look to plant more churches in Scotland. This church, our churches exist to encourage you and challenge you and stretch you to reject unambitious drifting walks with the Lord. As we gather together, this sermon exists to encourage you, to challenge you, to stretch you, to reject unambitious drifting walks with the Lord. My prayer for all of us is that we would, be, we would become consumed by the things of the Lord rather than being content to exist as mere consumers. In short, and if you have heard me preaching before in one of my previous visits, you'll know brevity is not normally my strong suit. You need a better bucket list. You need a better bucket list. I don't know if you have a bucket list, and this is not to decry bucket list. It's nice to plan holidays and adventures because that's usually what's in a bucket list. Here's where we want to go. This is what we want to do. So it might be bungee jumping in Bora Bora. It might be sailing down the Amazon River to Brazil. It might be observing a kookaburra in their natural habitat. I don't know what it is. Okay, I don't know what it is, what's on your bucket list. But you need a better bucket list. Those are not necessarily bad things, but if they're the only things or if they're, ma they're the main things, then you're missing the point of your life. You need a better bucket list. Not just a, I, I, so not just a list of things to do before you die. That's what a bucket list is, right? Not just a list of things to do before you die, but things of the Lord to give yourself to until you die. This is what I will give my life to. He is the one I will give my life to. And so when we see in 2 Corinthians 3.18, this picture of the weight of glory, 
We need a bucket list full of the weight of glory. That's what we get to invest our lives in. That's what we're invited to know. And, not just our, and, I, and as I said at the beginning, it's not just for ourselves, but in the overflow of our, relation, in our relationships with the people around about us, the people we've just heard singing along with us, the people we can feel their elbows nudging against us as they try to say, do you understand this accent or is it only me that's lost? The tangible nature of relationships, what is the fruit of your relationship going to be as you pursue this bucket list full of a weight of glory? How is that going to impact your world? How is that going to impact your people? What are your ambitions for the people you come into contact with? What are your hopes for what your investment in them of the things of eternity and the things of the Lord? What do you hope that that investment might produce in and through them? What do you long to see them called to? What do you long to see them pursuing for Jesus? And the encouragement in that, in those ambition questions, is not to come up as we're prone to do with some self-serving answer that serves you because you, you make it all about you. The encouragement is to view a relationship differently, rather to see how those relationships, the relationships with the people sat in front of you and beside you, the people you're going to come into contact with and your small groups and, and your serving activities here in the church or when you go to your workplace and you're rubbing shoulders with people there who maybe don't even know Jesus yet. That those relationships with one another, that are investment in those around us might count, might count for eternity. Would that they would count for God's glory would that they would serve the honor of Jesus in your world. That our relationships would help one another see Jesus more clearly. Would that our relationships would help us apply the gospel more generously and specifically. Would that in everything we do with one another, we would be encouraged and probed and prodded and nudged or shoved to love God more deeply. This church, our churches, this sermon exists to call you to an ambitious urgency for the things of the Lord. And if COVID has taught us anything, it's about time. How much time do you have? How quickly time passes? How easily time is lost? We need a better bucket list. We need a spiritual bucket list. And you say, well, what kind of things might be on that? Well, maybe leading, some, maybe leading someone to the Lord might be on it. Maybe observing, up, so that's taking somebody and walking them by the hand to a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe it's um, observing up close life transformation, seeing somebody coming out from the crushing weight of sin and rebellion and seeing them walking free from that. Maybe it's caring for a hurting soul. Maybe it's together we are planting more churches. Or maybe it's something as general but awesome as telling as many people as possible as I possibly can about Jesus. Discipleship is, in effect, a spiritual bucket list. Discipleship is about the ambitions we have for one another and with one another for the kind of lives we want to live as a family of God in the local church. Here in Harvest Barry, back home in Harvest Glasgow. So this morning we've got five bucket list options, uh, ambitions for your relationships. Five bucket list ambitions for the person sitting next to you, across from you, in your life. And, and, and let me just say from the outset, these things need to happen in us before they happen through us, right? Are we agreed on that? They need to happen in us before they happen through us. 
So these things would be things we would long for in our hearts and in our lives, and, and, that, that, and that we would see those happening by overflow in our relationships. So buckle us item number one, living such as tells a story of transparent transformation. Basically, the, the power of Jesus and, his tran- and how he changes lives would be made really obvious in, the li- in my life and in the life of people around about me. Let's look at verses one to three if you want to look along with me. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tablets of stone, but in tablets of human hearts. So the question is, what is it we want to commend us? What is the question that Paul invites us to see? What is it that we want to commend us? When people think about your life, what is it they are going to consider most fondly about you or me? Or, or think of as being what impacted them most about you? In effect, what story does my life tell? Does it tell a story about Jesus and how marvelous he is and how worthy he is? Because imagine a life, if you would, that leaves a kind of spiritual legacy of transformed lives and a stronger love for the Lord just by the story it tells. And so when you see this, we, it's like Paul is saying, imagine the kind of relationships where we carry those stories in our hearts of how God is changing lives and where we're getting to see it, and we have those stories that we can, and, 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 and as we go about our lives, we have a selection of stories from our church family, for example, or from, or from our, our, our interactions with other believers, where we're able to share these stories to encourage and inspire great faithfulness among God's people in every conversation we have, wherever we go. Well, Paul says here, we don't need to imagine it. That is what he has. We have these stories written in, our heart, written in our hearts to be known and read by all. We just need to put ourselves in a position to see it. We need, that involves us being meaningfully part of a local church, meaningfully part of a place where we're sharing those stories, where we're sharing life, where we're engaging with one another in the things of the Lord. And Paul gives us this. So he said, we don't need to imagine it. We have the opportunity because we have a local church. And Paul gives us this brilliant picture of the blessing of investing yourself in ministry and mission. This is what it looks like. It looks like being a letter from Christ. You are a letter from Christ. It really is time to take stock and reconsider how we view our lives. What if we were to think of our lives as a letter from Christ to one another and to a lost and fallen world? Imagine we were to see ourselves as a a message from God to the people around about us as they see the difference that Jesus makes in our lives, as we tell the story of how worthy we believe him to be, of the peace and the hope and the joy that we have in him. That's the letter we get to to, to write to everybody we come into contact with every day. Paul talks about the letters being delivered by them. And the word delivered comes from the same root as, root as serving or ministering. It des- describes caring for or giving assistance to. And that's what we get to be. We get to be instruments in Jesus, writing those letters in our lives in order to communicate something about his grace and his mercy, which is available to all. It's, amazing. it's an amazing thing that Jesus works in a life like yours or a life like mine. He chooses people like you and people like me to do his work. Maybe you've lost sight of this in amongst everything over the last few years. But let me remind you, God has a plan and he has made you a part of it. 
And it's a plan that involves people like you, someone just like you. In fact, not just like you, involves you, let's be really specific, it involves you being used to, to, trans, to translate and communicate his grace and mercy to, to the people around about you, to encourage and invite and shove from time to time people in pursuit of Jesus. God has a plan and you're a part of it. It's a plan that involves you investing the things of God in those he's placed around you. We exist as, we make it, so, and he, so he talks about these heart tablets, these, not, not in tablets of stone, but in tablets of human hearts. God is writing his story in your life in order that, well, we might consider these heart tablets to be monuments of mercy. You get to exist as a monument of his mercy in order to tell the story of the marvelous kindness that God has shown towards you in Jesus Christ. We get to be open books for the observation of God's work made obvious. What an awesome thing to give our lives to. That's a, so that's bucket list number one. Bucket list number two is growing confidence in Jesus for the life we are called to, that we would see that in ourselves and we see that in the people around about us, a growing confidence in Jesus for the life we are called to. And, and maybe already you're saying, well, this seems well beyond my capacity. It's way, this, this, what's, what we see here is way out of my league. We might think we lack the capacity to do anything like this. And then we maybe look around and maybe it's the person who we're nudging up against trying to see if we, this person still is tracking with my accent or not. We might, look, we, might even, we, we might look around and see others around about us who we see as being much, 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 everyone say much, much more suited, much more suited to, to what this is talking about. Let's look at verses four to six. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And we're looking around and saying, oh, I don't feel confident. And I see people are much, 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 much more suited to this. And now I read about Paul and he's saying, well, he even seems to admit his inadequacy. And if Paul's inadequate, then what about little old me? What chance do I have? And, so, and in doing so, we might reject any notion whatsoever that God might use me. Or you might reject any notion that God might use you. But there's three things to note to counter that argument. First of all, what Paul, in what Paul says... So three things to know. First of all, it's not, so, it's not in those moments where you're, pro, you're prone to think those things, it's not self-confidence I lack. It's not self-confidence you lack, but son dependence. That's the reality. The chief obstacle to any of us being profitable for the Lord is pride. Our competence or our confidence for serving others, for doing ministry, for giving con gospel care is not in ourselves. It's not in you. It's in the one who has saved you and the one who is growing you and the one who is changing you. The capacity and confidence for these things, for ministering and serving and, in, and directing people towards Christ, it's not in yourself. In fact, it's the opposite. I don't know if you're, if you're anything like me. I don't have the power to change hearts. 
I don't have the wisdom to work through or work out all of life's woes. I don't have the words to say when life is at its worst. The answer isn't self-confidence. The answer is surrender. The answer isn't self-confidence. In fact, self-confidence is going to get me in trouble and is going to do, create tragedy or trouble for the person I'm seeking to minister to if it's all about me and if it's centered on me. The answer isn't self-confidence. The answer is surrender. Stepping out in vulnerable trust and humble reliance to do a supernatural work. That's what we are called to do. And yes, we may be shaking in our boots, but we get to shake in our boots all the while looking to the Son of God to do what He seeks to do in and through in us and through us, and He promises to fulfill in each one of us. We need to understand there is as much pride in saying that God can't use me as there is as there is in saying I don't need God. We need to be so careful about dictating terms to a God who delights to use the weak and the unexpected, you and me, in his work. That leads us to the second correction to our thinking around about these things that we see. It's not credit I claim, but Christ's power. So it's not self-confidence I lack, but son dependence. It's not credit I claim, but Christ's power. And let me tell you, that's a kindness from the Lord. Any credit I claim would crush me and the amazing thing about that, it releases us to pray that God would allow us to witness in and through our lives such a work as, only, as can only be explained by this. God did it. And that's been our experience in Glasgow. If I, if I brought photos of our 16-person launch team and told you about what we were praying the Lord would allow us to do in terms of planting more churches. And if you'd met me 13 years ago, you would have said, that's a crazy plan. He doesn't know what he's doing and you would have been right. I still don't know what I'm doing in fairness. But what an amazing thing the Lord has done. We started with 16 people. We've got 50 or 60 kids in our kids ministry. It's an awesome thing the Lord has done. He's allowed us to plant a church. What a blessing it's been to see him work in ways that have exceeded our expectations and have been wiser than we could possibly have understood. God did it. And he will do that as well. If you are, you take with you that heart of vulnerable trust and humble reliance, believing that he has called you to do a supernatural work of transforming lives for eternity. It releases us to pray that God would allow us to witness that work. God did it. Our sufficiency is from God. All you need to be a fruitful servant in the lives of the people around you can be, will be, is found in God directing them to who he is, opening his words so they can hear what he has to say, holding up his son so they can see where lies hope, where lies peace, where lies everlasting joy. We get to do that. You get to do that. Is there any, let, let me ask you, is there anything else, as I'm talking about this, is there anything else you would long to give your life to than seeing life transformed for all eternity and to play your part in that? Because that's what the Lord is calling you to and that's what he's going to equip you for as you rely on him. We get to do that. With, and we get to do it every day with everyone we come into contact with. 
not self-confidence I lack, but it's undependence. It's not credit I claim, but Christ's power. Thirdly, third correction, it's not laying down the law, but laying hold of new life. See, the content is amazing, but the tone is also important. All of us are journeying. If, if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, this we know. And it tells us here, we're all journeying from death to life. We're all journeying from rebellion to righteousness. If you haven't trusted Jesus, then your trajectory is the opposite direction. You're moving from life to death. And the offer of the gospel is you can come and you can receive from him something that turns your life around. So you start to move from death to life, from rebellion to righteousness. And so if you this morning have come to church or you're watching on the live stream and you're, say, and you're, you're thinking, my life feels so empty and disappointing. My life seems so meaningful, meaningless and unsatisfactory. My, my, my experience of life is so broken and messed up. The invitation is to have your life turned around, to live for eternal things. And you can come to Jesus now and he will receive you. Would you do that? Jesus, wanted, Jesus designs to turn your life from death to life, from rebellion to righteousness. And so if that's the case, then we want to live out and we want to live something, a life that reflects that. We get to live a life that reflects that. We get to invest our lives in significant and ultimate and eternal things. And so we start, we engage now, we, we see Paul talking about two things. He talks about the letter, uh, the letter and the spirit and the two purposes they have in our lives. The law shows us the things that are to do with rebellion and death in us. The spirit shows us the things that are to do with righteousness and life. One is diagnostic, one is directive. Don't do this. Live like this. The Spirit gives us life, it tells us. So the encouragement for us is to invest in life-giving ways in one another and those around us. So we can do that by encouraging one another to share our story. We can speak about what is going on with us. We can set an example in love and godliness. We can seek to live out God's word in God's world. But all of, all of that to say, we are encouraged here to pour ourselves into inspiring those around us to invest in their walk with Jesus because they see us doing it and they see the difference that he makes to us. That's two down. You ready for number three? Thank you. Uh, anyone else? It's good. Number three, getting after the things of growth. Number three, getting after the things of growth towards a greater glory. Getting after the things that show that our lives, that we're growing towards something better and higher and greater because that's what we believe. Do you believe that God has given you and promised you those things? Paul continues to use, in verses 7 to 11, Paul continues to use the giving of the Ten Commandments as a base of operations. And he does that to help us see the staggering grace that is in, that is in play in our lives and that we get to signpost other people to. We have this amazing thing to show and tell. Verse 7 says, Now if the ministry of death carved in letters of stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? 
For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much, well, much more will what is permanent have glory. We've got this amazing thing to show and tell. And, it tell, and so Paul says, the ministry of death, the thing that is passing and fading, the thing that is temporary and of this world, the ministry of death, the law that tells us why we deserve to die, that's what he's talking about. It tells us that we, we deserve to die because we break God's law in many and varied ways every day. The law serves to show how messed up and broken we are and where our disobedience of God gets us. But then he says, if that which lasts a lifetime, if those things that last a lifetime and as his finite time came with such a glory that the Israelites couldn't gaze at Moses' face because of his glory. So Moses came down having received the Ten Commandments from God and basically had to put a veil in his face because his face was so shiny that it was freaking everybody out. And he's saying, well, if that's the case for that, how much more glory will the ministry of the Spirit have? Because the ministry of the Spirit isn't, isn't, just, telling you what's, isn't just telling us what's wrong with us. It's, it's telling us how, how that can be reconciled with God for us. It's not just telling us about what's broken. It's telling us how, about how it can be fixed. How much glorious, more glorious is that? And that's what we get to share. So we have two messages, two, two, two messages to choose from. You're either dying or you're living. You're either living for a glory that dies or you're living for God's glory that never dies. So which are you choosing in your life right now? You choose your glory. It's either investing in the things this world finds glorious or you're investing in the things of eternal glory. Your own glory or God's glory, that's ultimately what it comes down to. Which are you living for? And it's not an exaggeration, I don't, do not think, to say that you're always investing in one or other of those things. Your glory or God's glory. The glory of this world or the glory of eternity, which is Jesus. You're investing in one or other of those things all the time. It's found in where you see reward. Where you see reward. It's found in where you choose to rest. It's found in where you place your reliance. It's found in what you consider riches. It's found in what defines your relationships. It's demonstrated in what informs the decisions that you reach. We're invited instead to an exceeding glory, a glory that surpasses all other glories. And that that glory, the glory of the Lord, the eternal glory of the Lord will ultimately and eternally stand victorious over every other thing you might choose to value in this life. My prayer is we would not lose sight of this reality. That you would not lose sight of this reality. Your life gets to excite the people around about you for the greater glory of God. Your life matters most when it is making most of Jesus. So we get to pour into relationships such as communicates the exceeding and surpassing value 
of growing towards the greater glory of the gospel in God. So what are you living for that is not that? What are you living for that is not that? What are you seeking glory in that is not him? And if you need any more encouragement, look at verse 10. Look at this. What once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. No glory at all. Not because the law had no purpose, it did. Not because of the things of this world were not attractive because God created them good. But because Jesus is so much more glorious. Because Jesus is so much more attractive. No glory at all. Just think about that. The pay rise you're desperate for. No glory at all. The career ambitions you have. No glory at all. The nice car you want to drive. No glory at all. All the things on your worldly bucket list. No glory at all in comparison to the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ, of knowing him and making him known. Would that our ambition for one another would be that our hearts would be increasingly alert to how amazing Jesus is and that our lives would be defined by getting after things that grow us towards the greater glory that's stored up eternally for us. but we're distracted and distorted in our thinking so often. And so the fourth bucket list item helps us with that, is that we'd be finding freedom from things that are fatal and fallen. The things that are fatal and fallen are all the things that we choose to pursue glory in rather than Jesus. All the things the world dangles in front of us or distracts us with or causes us to detour after. Since we have such a hope, Paul goes on, verse 12, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whatever Moses is read, whenever, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I said I had a very deliberately brave heart way just for you all. There's freedom. Boldness and freedom. Does that describe, so let me ask you, does this describe your walk with Jesus? Do you have a bold freedom because you're secure in the Lord because you believe in his promises? This tells us since we have such a hope, since you have such a hope, you get to be very bold. This is, describing, this is describing a boldness of relationship with God that surely must spill over into our relationships with one another. It's describing a security of heart that spills over, speaks into, and seeks out ways to magnify the hope that now defines our lives. It's calling us, this is, the, the word bold is calling us to carry ourselves in such a way as, as unashamed and as unabashed in contrast to how unambitious we are often prone to be in our ministry and mission for Jesus. Jesus invites us to that kind of boldness and that special kind of security. 
He is invested in his things that allow us to be bold. Hebrews 4.16 gives us a great example of that. It says this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of God that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I don't know about you, but that sounds like the kind of place I need to be. That sounds like the kind of place I need to plan my life. It sounds like the kind of place I ought to long for my people to be, my friends and my family, my co-workers and the people I'm coming into contact with every day to be because everything else is fatal or fallen. And so Moses is there with his veil on and he's hiding his head. I can't, I can't let you see it. Everyone's getting freaked out by this. We get to freak people out by how faithful and fantastic Jesus is. We get to point people towards the reality of how he's changed their lives in a way that they could not believe unless we told them the reason. The eternal hope that Jesus has given us. Jesus has made it that our lives no longer need to be defined by a fading glory of something that is past or that's passing. We don't need to be defined by the law and the diagnosis it offers of our hearts and the destiny of devastation that it tells us our sin creates for us. We don't live or look there for meaning anymore because we look to Jesus to be the one who defines our life. We get to be defined by the son of the living God. You get to be defined by the son of the living God and how he deals with your heart and how he defeats all your sin. And we get to live in light of that. And we get to live lives that shine a light on that. The glory of Jesus offers, so much, offers us something so much better and more glorious. But yet something often happens in us that creates a disconnect in our mind from that reality. We forget or we fail to consider and take hold of what that means for our lives and for our relationships and so if we're not careful, we do what Israel did. We drift like Israel, our, whose minds are described as being hardened. So there's a, alongside all, these, all the promises, there's still a warning here to consider if our present experience of being a Christian is, is hardened. If in some way we are expressing our relationship with Jesus in an unthinking, unintentional, absent way where we are reluctant to consider Christ or where we're lazy in pointing people to Christ and living lives as if we have no conscious need of Christ. What that does is it creates lives of missing mission and, and lives that are passive about the purpose that God's promises are designed to create in us. It's being trapped in trivialities and temporary fixes and temporal pleasures. Do you feel as if your life is there? God offers you something better. He invites you to something better and fuller. When we, when we, when we, we see the, this idea of being hardened, what it seems to be describing is, or what it could very easily be describing is drifting back into, our, into the, our lost, the lost days of our lives before Jesus. The law, the old way of living, the state of mind and heart that dwells in is defined by self-sufficiency, self-satisfaction, self-justification, and it lies like a veil over our hearts. It's all we can see because we've taken our eyes off of because we've taken our eyes off of off of Jesus. And, and if that describes you and me, and in many ways we are prone to exactly this kind of drift, then we need something significant to happen. You need, we need an encounter with Jesus. Because only through him is this hardness taken away. 
When one turns to the Lord, it says the veil is removed. When you look to Jesus, the veil is removed. You start to see your life clearly once again. Or maybe for the first time, if you've never trusted Jesus before, there's the invitation again. Come and see your life clearly. We need a revival from our our reluctance to fully engage in the relationship that God has invited us into. And when we are revived from that reluctance, there is a promise. It's a promise that is for you and it's also the promise you get to pour into the lives of everyone that God has placed around you. When you turn to the Lord, the veil is removed. When we turn to the Lord, we see our lives clearly. And when we do those things, when those things happen, we discover that there is true and lasting, eternally lasting freedom in focusing our lives on Jesus. There is freedom in focusing your life in Jesus. And again, we're reminded the way to see your life more clearly is to cling to Jesus more tightly. Our relationship with Jesus is secured and sealed by the Holy Spirit. And this tells us, it tells us who are stuck in slavery and struggle and selfishness and superficiality. There's something glorious and liberating in a life that is wholly surrendered to and invested in Jesus. So what's the fruit of all of that? Well, we want to see that in one another. So my prayer is that this would spill over into the lobby and into the car journeys home and your dinner tables at home and your workplace and in your small groups and in your, your serving areas over the course of this week and beyond. Because if, and, and so the fifth bucket list item is, is, is an expression of that. Seeing Jesus more clearly through every conversation. read verse 18 in a moment, but before I do that, let me say, if we, as we read verse 18, if verse 18 doesn't stir you or shake you to spiritual life, then I need to ask you, what will? Let me read that. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We all, we all, that includes you in case you missed that. We are all, we all, that's the invitation to you. We all, and it's a we all that we're all going to want to get in on. If you really grasp what this is about to say, if you really grasp what we've been thinking about this morning, You're going to want to be all about this. So if your life signed up entirely for this and with the totality of your life invested in this, we all with unveiled faces in whom the transforming glory of Jesus can be seen and who see our lives more clearly because of Jesus, we all with unveiled faces get to behold, get to behold the glory of the Lord and behold there is no, we only had a look. It's, behold, look at him. Would you just look at him? Here is Jesus, your savior. Would you look at him? And would you allow that to change how you're living for him? I wonder, would you consider what it would mean? What would change if you resolved this morning for your life to be spent looking at Jesus. 
Well, here's what happens when you do that. As we behold the glory of the Lord, would that he would become more glorious to us this weekend. Would that our greatest ambition for one another would be a greater attraction to Christ than one another. The more we look at him, the more like him we become. The world tells us bit by bit, you build your life, you build your life, you add this, you add that, and then you'll be happy. Only to find that if you add this and you add that and you add the things of the world, you'll only be empty. Look what it says here. You're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory into another, growing and progressing closer to him, becoming more and more like Jesus. The more we behold him, the more we bear a resemblance to him. Is there, is there anything more that you want from your life than that? Is there anything that you want more than becoming more like Jesus? The great Scottish preacher, Robert Murray McShane, talked about our tendency to think in terms of capacity and confidence and stuff we thought about earlier on. He said this, it's not great talents that God blesses so much as great likeness to Jesus. Is there anything in your life you want more than to be like him? One degree of glory into another, progressing bit by bit towards perfection. Listen, if your best ambition for those around, for yourself, if your best ambition for yourself, if your best ambition for those around you is a, is a nice house, or a comfortable life, stuff, wealth. If the sum total of your prayers for one another are things that are confined to this world and to practicalities, then you're failing, and I'm failing, to consider this verse and the life it invites us to. If those things are true, if those are, if those are the best ambitions I have for myself, those are the and for those around me, if those are the best ambitions you have for yourself and those around you, you, then you're missing the point, not just, not just of this verse, you're missing the point of your entire existence. You need a better bucket list. One where the number one item is helping one another see just how beautiful Jesus is and what blessing there is in living for him. Your life matters most when it's making most of Jesus. That's the work of the Spirit. And right now he is inviting you to invest in it. Let me pray. Father, we want to finish where we began with the prayer that you would be magnified in us. Even now you'd be magnified for us. Help us to see you more clearly.
Help us to see the mercy and grace that we need right now because we recognize how hardened we are, how helpless we feel against the lure of the world. So we come to you. We do so boldly. We do so with confidence, believing that what Hebrews 4 says, that there is mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. We need your help. We need your help to live for you. because we're so prone to live for ourselves. We need your help to to love you more fully because we are so in love with ourselves. Father, may it be your glory, not our glory. May it be your will and not our will. May it be things of eternal glory rather than the things that are of no glory at all. May our lives long for ourselves and for those around about us that we would be growing from one degree of glory to another. You would be drawing us to yourself and we would do that together. May our lives count for something greater. As we live lives of worship to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.